It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Well, I think Southern Baptist leaders should be very concerned. I think when you see consistent and prominent African-American leaders departing the denomination, saying that their concerns aren't being heard, saying that they're not feeling welcomed, and now you have the most prominent woman leader in the denomination leaving, I think it's a cause for concern and needs to be some self-reflection. How did Southern Baptists get here? And why are so many people leaving the Southern Baptist Convention right now? The Southern Baptists gather Usually every year, COVID paused that, but uh, gather in Nashville. I think there'll be an important election. Southern Baptists have to decide if they want to have leaders that keep driving people out, that keep narrowing the parameters of cooperation, or if they can actually elect some leaders who are building uh, bridges, who are working towards unity. Now, don't misunderstand. The Southern Baptist Convention controversy is not between liberals and conservatives here. There are no liberals in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's between people who might have different approaches to conversations about race and politics. And if those can't be things where we agree on a common gospel, have a common passion to reach the world for Christ, but we disagree on who we voted for, or we disagree on the best way forward in a racial reconciliation or racial justice conversation, if that can't be a place where gospel the gospel brings us together, then the gospel is not what brought us together in the first place. It's something else. And I think that's being laid bare in some of these conversations. All right. So that's the uh, powerful voice of Ed Stetzer. Ed is actually the head of the uh, Department of Evangelism at Wheaton College and the executive director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton, which is, you know, my home bailiwick. Happen to know that place very well. And when you are uh, running that place, your name carries weight. The problem is, of course, Ed Stetzer uh, is very much at one with the woke movement of the church, and that's what many people don't know. But he is right. The Southern Baptist Convention is in crisis right now. We've spoken about it at this microphone many, many times, uh, and I know that not all of you are Southern Baptists. You come from all kinds of backgrounds. I myself have a very checkered, well, checkered in the best sense of the word. Uh, My involvement in uh, church affiliation is varied. I was raised Southern Baptist. I am now in a Southern Baptist church, but for most of my adult life, I was elsewhere. And so, um, but we all are, as evangelicals, dedicated to the truth and the power of the Word of God. And so when there is something in the very core of that teaching or presentation that is awry, we have to address it. It's happened in the history of the church. There have always been these times when there was a, a departure from orthodox teaching, and there had to be a correction. And I think we're facing one right now. The Southern Baptist uh, denomination is the largest Protestant in the United States. It has a tremendous influence on uh, on public discourse and on policy, and yes, on politics. And so what's happening there is a reflection of what's happening everywhere. You just might not see it in the headlines. Well, my next guest is very deeply involved in all that's happening there. His name is Pastor Mike Stone. He's the pastor of the Emanuel Baptist Church in Blackshear, Georgia. 
Uh, he has served on the, uh, well, this, to those of you who aren't Southern Baptists, these little titles, they're not little titles, but these titles won't mean as much to you. But he's the former president and executive committee chairman of the Georgia Baptist Convention, and that in itself is a very big deal because there is a ton of Baptists Southern in Georgia. He's also the immediate past chair of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention Executive Committee, and that is a very big t- deal as well. But right now, he's actually thrown his hat in the ring to run for president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he joins us this morning from his uh, church in Blackshire, Georgia. Good morning, Mike. Miss Sandy, it's a joy to be with you. Hey, let me just ask you a simple question uh, uh, for which you've given an answer many times in your life, I'm confident. But where and how did you find Jesus? Well, I was raised in a Christian home of a Pentecostal denomination. I cannot tell you the first time that I ever heard the gospel because I know my parents were praying over me and sharing the gospel literally while I was in utero and they were waiting on my birth. I don't recall the first time I heard the gospel, but I know that when I was an eight-year-old boy, I heard it not just with the ears on the side of my head, but I heard it with the ears of my soul. And I responded as a third-grade boy to the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and I repented of my sin and trusted Christ as my Lord. You know, Mike, you'll enjoy this story, I think. You might find it mildly amusing, but uh, I went to Oklahoma Baptist University, and uh, my mother was, uh, my mom and dad came to Christ late in life. They were nearly 40. So it was a radical change in my home, and I came to Christ myself uh, when I was nine, and it was, it was a powerful experience. Changed my life forever. But when I got to college, I started hearing, like, different kinds of things. And in my uh, theology class, I, I think it was Old, Old Testament, the uh, teacher uh, told us that the word virgin was, didn't mean virgin. It just meant young girl. And that, so Mary was not necessarily a virgin. And I remember sharing that with my mother. And honestly, uh, Mike, I thought she was going to have a heart attack. Uh, hmm. But I, I tell the story to say that problems with the central focus and doctrines of uh, the biblical teaching have always been uh, under attack, always. So my question for you is, did you ever, in your own uh, struggle, in your own understanding of, uh, you know, of some of the difficult passages of God's Word, did you ever try to, did you ever find confusion yourself in, I'm not, you don't even have to be specific, but have you always been certain about what you believed? I have always been very confident in the authority of God's Word. You talk about how these ideas are not new. They literally go back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 and Uh, Satan's question to Eve, indeed hath God said, which was ultimately uh, a desire and an attempt to undermine Eve's belief in the authority and the inspiration of what what God had revealed, which for us we now have uh, in the pages of God's Word. I I was raised in a different denomination, and when I was in high school, I came to have some subtle but but important distinctions about what we would call maybe secondary or third-level areas of doctrine that led me out of a Pentecostal denomination uh, into the Southern Baptist Convention, which was a choice that I made based on the convictions and beliefs of the uh, churches of the SBC. But other than those minor sort of internal secondary levels of Christian doctrine, uh, I've never had a season in my life or even really a moment where I have questioned uh, the inspiration and veracity of God's Word. You know, I kind of had a parallel experience because, I, you know, God, well, just did a powerful work in my life when I, right after I got married, when I was 20, 21 actually. And uh, as I began to get into the world, word, I started questioning everything, but in, in the right way. I just started digging, and I lived in Germany at the time, in Berlin. It was during the Cold War. And it seemed the more I dug, the more I understood. 
Uh, the more things I questioned, the more I came down in a more firm embrace of all the things I'd been uncertain about. And so I think you would agree with me that uh, mm-hmm. our brain is meant to be used. God wants us to love him with all our mind, not just our heart. And it's not mindless. It has yes. to be with intelligence. So, yes, um, I, I've, I've said before, Miss Sandy, that our, our faith is not a leap into the dark. It's a step into the light. And we don't have to check our brain at the door. In fact, uh, we're not fully keeping the great commandment if we're not loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and our strength. So uh, yes. uh, I totally affirm that. Yep. All right, you've been a pastor in the Southern Baptist Church for how long? Uh, I will soon celebrate my 19th anniversary here at this church as a pastor. I was a staff member in a couple of Southern Baptist churches prior to that. Okay. When did you first notice this new drift? I mean, this I say current because I, are, I just described to you a drift that happened many, many years ago. Uh, and I think that the Southern Baptists wrestled back from leftist teaching, which included mm-hmm. denial of the virgin birth. Uh, they wrestled it back and reestablished what they call conservatism, but it was really biblical orthodoxy. Uh, So this time around, when did you first notice the newest, latest trend in drifting here? Well, it was it was really the first moment uh, I was serving on the resolutions committee of the Southern Baptist Convention when we met in 2006 in Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, this is an issue that a lot of Christians differ on. But Southern Baptists, at least in recent memory, have been uh, teetotaling uh, in, in the area of beveraged alcohol. And we put forward a resolution just stating our uh, renewing our uh, position that the wise position for spirit-filled believers is to abstain from beveraged alcohol. And I was sitting on the platform when that was presented, really expecting that it would be a no-brainer resolution at the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. And it ended up in a very controversial, uh, highly publicized debate. And that was my very first moment where I realized that the SBC that I was facing for uh, the next several years was not the SBC that I left the Pentecostal denomination in order to join because of uh, strong conservative conviction. So that was really the very first uh, moment that I saw there was some difficulty on the horizon. So, okay, now I would push back on that a little bit and say, would you not agree, though, that even the issue of drinking and even um you know, when I was a girl, it was mixed bathing. You know, that you couldn't right. go swimming with boys. You're not supposed to do that. Or dance. Uh, that some of those things are cultural differences. That's like you described from your Pentecostal background, practices and uh, things that maybe were negotiable. But I'm the non-negotiable stuff. Right. The stuff that's at the essence of doctrine. When did you notice that that was a problem? Well, it was really with some of the publications that were available uh, at and through Lifeway. Uh, because Lifeway is the publishing arm. It's an entity of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, you could go in there and you could find uh, prosperity preachers, those that we believe are teaching a false gospel. You could find their books in Lifeway. And even some of those highly publicized authors that are Southern Baptists, or at least until recently have been Southern Baptists, regularly spoke about extra-biblical revelation. Uh, They regularly talked about things that I found to be inconsistent with God's Word. But it seemed to be that if you were selling enough books or packing out enough conferences that we would overlook these things uh, for highly publicized and highly profitable authors. And that, that was really when it gets to the fundamental of undermining the authority and sufficiency of God's Word That specific issue was the first moment that I really saw uh, deeper trouble in uh, the future of the SBC. So uh, moving forward more than that, we come to—now, I was in Washington, D.C. when Russell Moore 
came to the ERLC, the uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And that's the political mm-hmm. arm of the Southern Baptist Convention based in D.C. It's natural that I would know. I, Richard Land, I knew very well before that. And so uh, Russell came. It was very impressive. He spoke eloquently, uh, at least in passing. I had not heard him speak, uh, give lengthy speeches. But, of course, didn't take long for it to come to my attention that Russell Moore was, um, from my perspective, Mike, uh, was like 75% right and 25% wrong, maybe even just 10, but enough that I, my ears said, wait a second, wait a second. Uh, so at some point, that came to your attention too. Can you, can you sort of describe that? Well, for me personally, uh, the first thing that I noticed there with the ERLC was at a conference that they hosted. It was uh, late 2014, early 2015, just kind of pre-Obergfell decision. And Dr. Moore was asked a question from someone in the audience during a Q&A time about whether or not he would attend a same-sex wedding, which I would argue is not really a wedding, not really a marriage. But he indicated that he would not attend the actual ceremony, but that he would go to the shower or the reception. Those were his words. And as best I use those words, and he's from Mississippi, we're generally in the same age range, so I figure that he knows what a shower and a reception would be when you're talking about two people supposedly getting married. And uh, I, I found that to be uh, uh, an area of compromise, that if the marriage is something that is a violation of God's Word, how could we as Bible-believing Christians go to a party that would be celebrating something that God's Word calls an abomination, a party that's going to be, if it's a shower, you know, maybe two weeks before the so-called wedding, or if it's a reception, you don't come at 2 o'clock to watch the vows, you come at 2.45 to have punch and cake over in the church fellowship hall. And uh, there was a lot of pushback from conservative Southern Baptists about that. And as best I can tell, and I've studied it quite a bit, there's never been a clarification, never any type of apology. Uh, And uh, that was really a, a watershed moment for me in my view of the ERLC. Yes, and of course, that was just the beginning. A lot of things right. unfolded, and because that was a, when I was president of Concerned Women for America, the whole issue of homosexuality, that's what I was debating on television probably three times a week on these issues. Uh, that was a huge issue for us. We had a culture and family institute, and so we had ears to pick up things that were not quite right, and that was one of the first one, first ones, and then there were many others that developed after that. I know, Mike, that you uh, led sort of a study or an investigation to the ERLC, and I want us to talk about that when we return, because I'd really like to know what it was that you found. My guest is Mike Stone. He's the pastor of the Emanuel Baptist Church in Blackshire, Georgia. He's a candidate for president for the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, The convention is in June of this year in Nashville, so it'll be interesting. We'll talk more about that in a second. Stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. My call is for African American pastors is to simply, simply get out. Pastor Theron Williams heads a church in Indiana. He's not a member of the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the author of the book, The Bible is Black History. It says that white supremacy is at work inside the SBC. Last November, six presidents of the SBC seminaries announced that they would not teach critical race theory, saying that it goes against their faith. They issued a statement, quote, The seminaries agree that affirmation of critical race theory, intersectionality, and any version of critical theory is incompatible with the Baptist faith and message. The pastor from Indiana urging black pastors to leave the SBC says the conversation about racial inequity in America has grown larger than ever and that the SBC 
has opted out. It is at this stage in, in um, American history where Southern Baptist Convention has, in a real sense, chosen sides. We're not going to even talk about it. According to numbers from the Southern Baptist Convention, over the past 30 years, African-American congregations have been the largest growing segment of the SBC. In Greensboro, I'm Bill O'Neill, WXII 12 News. All right, well, two things strike me about that. First of all, it's amazing if black churches, uh, more black Americans are joining Southern Baptist churches at the same time others are claiming there's such racism there. It's kind of an oxymoron. I think it's sad to hear the black pastor talk the way he is and to mix up critical race theory and intersectionality with racism. And uh, as we have discussed at this mic so many times, let me just say that critical race theory is a Marxist theory, a godless Marxist theory. It has nothing to do with loving your black brothers. But some black brothers have been led to believe that it's about that, but it is not. It's about separating people by categories, and in this case it happens to be black and white because that's convenient for the Marxist to divide Americans. It really is that simple, and it has creeped up into the Southern Baptist Convention Yet another problem. Mike Stone, again, is my guest. He's the pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Blackshire, Georgia. Mike, um, is there any connection from your perspective between uh, Russell Moore and the ERLC and the, uh, the sort of the introduction of critical race theory to the SBC? Well, one of the things that you find that you hear Southern Baptists complaining about and sharing concerns about is that there seems to be a leftward political leaning uh, within the ERLC. Some of that is because of politicians and movements that the ERLC is quick to criticize and sometimes right to criticize, but their utter, complete, total radio silence with any politicians or movements that seem to be coming from the left. And often that is seen because there is, at least in terms of statistics, often a a racial or ethnic divide between the Republicans and the Democrats. And uh, there is seen to be this sort of catering or move to the left to be more appealing to those who come from the moderate or left political sections of America to make them more comfortable within the uh, rank and file of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I think that there is a connection between those two things. Yes, I think so, too. And uh, let me just point out, to sort of give the big picture here, another favorite pastor of mine from your home state is Michael Youssef. And Michael was interviewed recently in the Christian Post. He's um, he's not Southern Baptist. He's in the Apostolic Church of the Apostles in Atlanta with 3,000 members. And Michael basically says that um, he's warning that evangelical churches have to watch out for woke pastors who hide from telling the hard truths as well as far-left ideology that is making its way to the pulpit. He goes on to say, Bowing to woke culture allows you to avoid rejection by culture and society. It's a very, very popular message that is now being preached from many evangelical pulpits, traditionally Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. We have gone so far that it just grieves me to the point that I literally sometimes weep tears. Um, I've seen some of your writing too, Mike, and I bet you could identify with his emotion, can't you? I really can. And one of the problems we have, a challenge we have in the SBC is along with critical race theory and the cultural Marxism that has taken over a lot of churches in the evangelical movement, including the SBC, is uh, cancel culture is a part of that. And so you have hundreds and thousands of pastors and key church leaders across the uh, Southern Baptist Convention who share deep-seated concerns with the direction of the ERLC specifically and the SBC generally 
but they are fearful of raising their voice. They're fearful of raising their phone and putting out a tweet or maybe something on uh, Instagram or Facebook because they know that if they do, the uh, the cancel culture that is often in the establishment is going to come crushing down on them. And in the autonomous bodies of the Southern Baptist Convention, where we are as independent uh, of congregations as, as any uh, denomination or convention of churches could be, it's just simply easier for them to just withdraw and to disengage. Uh, there's no pew tax or requirement to give any amount of money to cooperate with the SBC. So if I'm a, if I'm a typical Southern Baptist pastor and I'm concerned about the direction of my denomination, I can do one of two things. I can raise my hand and raise my voice and uh, feel the crushing blow of the SBC cancel culture, or I can just quietly stop giving and stop going to the various uh, meetings of our denomination and just essentially become more of an independent uh, Baptist church while still technically being on the SBC role. And uh, that leaves the microphone for those who continue to move in this troubling direction. In fact, I, I, I read, I believe, that at least 100 Southern Baptist churches have stopped giving to, at least to some degree, to the cooperative program, which is the big bucket, which you know, hand, uh, you know, funds missions and everything, because they do not want to fund the ERLC and the lift, this leftward drift that we are we're dabbling with. We haven't really explained it fully yet. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, the the task force that I chaired and we gave our report back in February of this year actually discovered hundreds, plural, hundreds of churches oh, wow. across the SBC. And what we can verify objectively, and th- this is not anecdotal or secondhand, this information came from very reliable sources within the leadership of the SBC, uh, somewhere between $5 million and $7 million that we know of right now that is being escrowed, that is being withheld, or in some way, pastors and churches have said, we're not giving any more until this problem, uh, until and unless this problem is solved. So we're seeing five to seven million dollars right now, and that's just the loss that we know about and can measure. You know, this my perspective on this, for what it's worth, because I was Southern Baptist for so many years of my early life, and now back again with a big gap in the middle, uh, but Southern Baptists were a, an overwhelming force in, in the public arena uh, in the 80s. And it was, it was abortion, it was homosexuality, of all, you know, it was the beginning buddings of homosexual rights. And Southern, Southern Baptists really took their role very seriously. And they had a tremendous effect on the culture. But the, um, and it could be argued, and Russell Moore does argue this, and others like him, uh, that uh, the church began to be identified with a political movement. Well, there's danger because I know this because I've done this most of my adult life. I've uh, been working in public policy, the public policy arena, and if you do not be careful, it becomes the focus of your attention more than the gospel. I've made a concerted effort not to let that happen uh, because I know who I love and I lead with that. But it is a danger always. But I say all that to say they have basically, though, demonized a serious, there are serious fathers and mothers and grandparents who took those issues on uh, during their time. It was their time in this country when they, that's what they saw and they fought back. And they have become the, uh, the embarrassing part of the Southern Baptist history. And it's been replaced by this new part, this new understanding, which just happens to the, the things that Russell Moore and the ERLC embraced just happen to align with the hard left. They just happen to, from feminism to open borders to, uh, to what, a critical race theory to all the rest of it. Uh, 
So your thoughts about that, uh, Mike, because they're just as political as their grandparents and parents, but they're politically aligned with the left. I absolutely agree. In fact, you, you have really a changing of definitions. If you can't agree on the definition of terms and you can't have a real meaningful, substantive conversation, and these days if you uh, speak up with a love of God and a love for country, there are high-profile, influential voices within the SBC who accuse you of being something called a Christian nationalist, which oh, the, yes. the accusation is that if you, if you say that you love America or you spend any time whatsoever trying to fight uh, for uh, uh, culture and to see righteousness, to exalt a nation, as the Word of God tells us, that righteousness exalts a nation, sin is a reproach to any people, you, you are deemed as being somebody who loves America more than you love Jesus. And I, and I would be the first one to say that if someone says, I love America more than I love Jesus, well, that person has failed Christianity 101. But, Miss Sandy, that is the ultimate straw man in this argument because yes. I do not know a single pastor or leader. I personally don't even know a member of a church in the Southern Baptist Convention who would say, I love Jesus, but if it comes between Jesus and America, I'm going with America because I love my country more than I love my Savior. I don't know anybody who actually believes that. But if you raise your voice and begin to engage with something that, because of policy, would identify with one party over the other, and by the way, that criticism only comes if your views identify with a, a political persuasion to the right. Those are the ones that are deemed to be some type of heretical Christian nationalist. And uh, the, the people who have really been our heroes in the last several decades within the SBC have been caricatured to almost be the crazy uncle that we want to keep in an upstairs bedroom and we don't want them to uh, speak to anybody at the newspaper. Absolutely. I've seen the same thing. And I think, personally, this is, I would really know, and this I don't know, this is my hunch. It looks to me as though the people sitting in the pews are still very well informed and not easily led by this leftist move. Uh, but that pastors, pastors, have been greatly affected by this. I've seen they have they they're muted, uh, with very few exceptions. They do not want to speak freely from the pulpit about any of the moral dilemmas that we face or the crises that we face. They want to just hide from all of it. And I know there are exceptions. I'm sure you're one of those exceptions. But that's how I see it. Pastors becoming cowards, and their their members of the pew are are more informed than they are. What what yeah. do you think about that? I, I totally agree. Much of it is generational. Uh, not completely generational, but a lot of it is. And some of it is because pastors uh, can be guilty of double speak. They say just enough to keep everyone happy. Some of it is because they, they don't want to offend. You go back to the idea of cancel culture. They want to be in and get more Twitter followers, more retweets. They want to get more shares on Facebook or likes on Instagram. But uh, I am convinced that the overwhelming majority of rank-and-file Southern Baptists, who I sometimes just refer to as Bob and Betty Baptist. They have not bought in at all to this progressive woke movement that has uh, developed this strong undercurrent within the SBC. If you had a way to to poll the 14.5 million members of the SBC, that's who actually is on record. you got about 5 million or so on any given Lord's Day. Uh, there is no question that it is still a very strong, conservative, evangelical, Bible-believing, sufficiency of the Bible-believing uh, convention of churches. But often those who have the microphones don't represent the rank and file. Yes, I think that's true. I, I want to, uh, you know, the interesting thing about Russell is he always finds his way uh, to uh, media that is that hates Christians. I, I don't know how else to say it. 
that paints them in the worst possible light. And he always spends his time in these interviews criticizing Christians, his fellow believers, and siding with the left. That's the way I see it. And this, he did one with Time magazine just recently. And in that, he, uh, among other things, he says this. Um, he's, you know, he's, he never had a kind word to say about Donald Trump. He, in fact, he, uh, I think it was pretty clear that he had complete disdain for Donald Trump and people that supported him. But with Joe Biden, he has a, uh, a different take. He says, um, I'm willing to listen to views I agree with and to grow. And he believes that just like President Barack Obama, Joe Biden has shown he is willing and eager to listen to people who disagree with him. I, I, I'm stunned with that. Look, he can feel like he wants about a, uh, a he can certainly give respect to a, a new uh, president, I think we should show respect as much as we mm-hmm. are able to do. Uh, but that is just a blatant, that is just blatant hypocrisy when you see a man like Joe Biden who's implementing already, expediting more and more abortion and all kinds of lawless things and and is directing his Justice Department to come after those so-called Christian nationalists, many of whom sit in the pews of Southern Baptist churches. Well, Ms. Sandy, it goes back to a clip that you played from Ed Stetzer at the beginning of the program where Ed talked about the race issue and how we have some African-American leaders who he says uh, are upset that we, we we don't seem to want to have a conversation where we disagree about how to approach race. Well, the, the those who are arguing that are oftentimes the ones who don't want to have the conversation because when you push back on CRT, they say, if you're going to push back on CRT, we're going to leave the Southern Baptist Convention because you don't want to have a conversation. It, it, it is so hypocritical. Whichever kind of issue you're talking about, you've redefined tolerance and the willingness to sit down and talk to people uh, 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 unless it's somebody that you agree with. That Those are the ones that you say we need to be tolerant of. And to, to, to have the disdain and the treatment uh, that we saw toward President Trump and then to, to have such uh, uh, deference toward the most pro-abortion, anti-life, pro-sexual perversion administration in the history of this republic, uh, hypocrisy was, would be labeling it lightly, in my estimation. It's pretty appalling to me, I think. And um, I want us to talk about the current president of the SBC as well. Uh, in fact, I want to get a response. Maybe I'll read to you what he said and then get your response on the other side of the break. He recently did... Um, this is a speech he gave to the Southern Baptist Committee uh, Convention Executive Committee. Maybe you were there. I was. And he, you were there? Yes. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to read this part of it. We should mourn when closet racists and neo-Confederates feel more at home in our churches than do many people of color. The reality is that if we in the SBC had shown as much sorrow for the painful legacy that racism and discrimination has left in our country as we have passion to decry critical race theory, we probably wouldn't be in this mess. All right, that's a loaded statement, and that was by the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer, and we will return my guest, Mike Stone, who's challenging him for that position. Uh, He's the pastor of the Emanuel Baptist Church in Blackshire, Georgia. I'll have uh, Mike respond to that. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net.
That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. departure in a recent religious news service interview in which she said, quote, I am still a Baptist, but can no longer identify with Southern Baptist. Now, Moore is a huge evangelical figure. She is known as the founder for a, a Bible study for women of which millions of women have read, flocked to see her speak about, and we're talking stadium-sized crowds. Well, in recent years, she's been an outspoken advocate for sexual abuse survivors and a President Donald Trump critic, causing a rift between her and other Southern Baptist Leaders. Well, tonight we reached out to several local women's studies groups, uh, to other Baptist leaders in the area and congregation members, all of whom declined to comment on this story. LifeWay is the publishing arm for the Southern Baptist denomination, which means that in the future, anything that more writes will be published through someone else. For News 4 Nashville, I'm Rebecca Cardenas. Well, there's no question that was an absolute travesty, what's happened with Beth Moore. And not uh, look, she's going to have to manage her own life and her own, uh, the, the, the abuse she suffered in her life. And certainly, you know, Beth will do that in time. She certainly knows the word. And I think she's gone through a very unstable time. I'm not sure what triggered it, but she would say it was Donald Trump. And in, in a 2018 interview with The Atlantic, uh, Beth, by the way, I have to also say, Beth was the best Bible teacher ever, just powerful. She filled my life with great teaching. My own mother is the one who turned me on to Beth Moore. And so this is a sad thing. Uh, And I have to also say to all of you, this is why all of us that name the name of Jesus have to be very careful that we stay in the Word. And and look, Beth did, yes, but you can be in the Word and still veer because your mind is controlled by some of your own the things that are happening to you, your blindness, your emotions, whatever, but you can get off track. It's harder to stay on track than it is to be, uh, to be, to get off track. So she said that um, she's leaving because the evangelical culture demeans women, promotes sexism, and disregards accusations of sexual abuse. And she said that enabled Trump's rise. So uh, Beth has a real issue about uh, women in the Southern Baptist Church, and so she's leaving, and that's a great loss. Uh, my my uh, guest is Mike Stone. He, again, is the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church. He is running for president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I did misspeak when I said he's challenging J.D. Greer. J.D. Greer will be—it's, I think, a one-year term or two years, and so uh, he's not challenging him. You're actually challenging Al Mohler, right? He's one of the candidates? Yeah, there are four candidates, and Dr. Mohler is one of them. So— um, all right, I need to give you a chance to respond to J.D. Greer's comment, and then let's talk about Al Mohler for a second, because we have to. Uh, I want to read this again. In um, a presentation where you were present, this is the Executive Committee for the Southern Baptist Convention, he said in part, We should mourn when closet racists and neo-Confederates feel more at home in our churches than do many of our people of color. The reality is that if we and the SBC had shown as much sorrow For the painful legacy that racism and discrimination has left in our country, as we have passion to decry critical race theory, we probably wouldn't be in this mess. Can you respond to that, Mike? Well, the best description of it is grandstanding and gaslighting, because I don't know a church that openly embraces closet racists. And by the way, how would a church openly embrace somebody who had closet views of anything? I don't know a church 
that warmly embraces neo-Confederate sympathizers. So I actually contacted President Greer and indicated that if he would help name some of those churches, he's demonstrated in the past a willingness to publicly name churches that he thought should be uh, uh, inquired about as to whether or not they should be in fellowship with the SBC. If he would name some of those churches, I would join hands and see that if we've got churches that embrace closet racism and neo-Confederate uh, theology, then I'd be the first one to want to call them out, single them out, call them to repentance, and perhaps even disfellowshipping from the SBC. My suspicion, however, is that no no church is going to be able to be named because no such church exists that at a corporate level uh, embraces the very things that he's talking about. What, what it is, is that it is an attempt to tie together, to syncretize the idea that people who are concerned about the infiltration of critical race theory and other neo-Marxist ideology into the bloodstream of the Southern Baptist Convention are now no longer just people concerned with CRT and intersectionality. They're now closet racists and neo-Confederates. And it is just another form of duplicity and inconsistency that if you have churches that feel like the SBC is moving in a, a direction that's too far to the right. You have some African-American pastors or others who say that they're leaving the Southern Baptist Convention. Miss Sandy, we have high-level conference calls, and we try to call all hands on deck to beg and plead and find out whatever we need to do to make sure that churches that would be leaning toward critical race theory in this woke progressive movement, we've got to be sure that they continue to feel comfortable and engaged in the SBC. But then when you have literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches who are concerned that the SBC is moving to the left, they are caricatured as nitpicking Pharisees and legalistic Judaizers who who basically uh, the president has said in the past that we should mark them out as divisive and have nothing to do with them. And the, the disparate ways, the different ways in which these two different groups are treated by the elite and the establishment of the Southern Baptist Convention is a uh, is a textbook example of hypocrisy and inconsistency. If you feel like the convention's moving too far to the right, oh brother, sister, please don't leave. If you feel like the convention is moving too far to the left, don't let the door hit you on the way out because you are a closet racist or some type of Pharisee. And uh, I take great offense at that idea, not at me personally, because if you're blasting closet racists and neo-Confederates, I don't know who you're talking about, but I certainly know you're not talking about me. But I think it's a, it, is a, it is an example of the different ways that our SBC leadership often communicates to the different uh, groups within the Southern Baptist Convention. It's um, so blatantly manipulative and twisted. You know, I, found, I don't know J.D. Greer, and I, so I found myself wondering, now, is he just not real bright, and he's been persuaded to this, and he's not thinking through this? Because that is not even logical. I mean, when you think about this— if we had as much sorrow for the painful legacy that racism and discrimination as we have passion to decry DRCRT. Now, critical race theory, as I said, is a racist tool. It is, right. the, it is the brainchild of a godless Marxism. If he understood that, uh, he wouldn't understand why people are saying we cannot embrace that. And if, if he's talking, yes, sir. Yeah. The reason that I am opposed to CRT and intersectionality is because I believe it is a tool of division and not a is a weapon of division and not a tool of unity. I don't oppose CRT and intersectionality because I'm racist. I oppose it because I'm not. Yes. And I think That's that it's right. going to continue to divide because at its core, it's a, a form of identity politics, which assigns guilt and innocence on the basis of immutable characteristics, such yes. as gender and other uh, 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 ethnic identity. And uh, it, it's, it's absolutely inconsistent and incompatible with the gospel. 
and it leads to division. And the other thing that I would say on this point is talk about if Southern Baptists had shown their concern over the, the pain of racism. We did start in 1845 uh, with, uh, with uh, slave ownership as being a, a major reason for the formation of the Southern Baptist Convention. But back in 1995, we passed a resolution and corporately repented of that, and there have been other expressions of that through the years. There is great progress in ethnic diversity that's been happening in the last decades in the life of the Southern Baptist Convention. I would argue exactly the opposite, that we have shown shown sorrow, we have shown regret, we have expressed even repentance over things that have happened at the corporate or convention level. Uh, We were making great progress in the area of ethnic diversity and reconciliation in the SBC when all we were using was the Word of God being led by the Spirit of God. But when Birmingham 2019 officially interjected uh, through Resolution 9, critical race theory and intersectionality into the, the, the bloodstream and the thought processes of the Southern Baptist Convention, we have had, had absolutely nothing but tension and confusion and further division on the issue of race. And that is exactly by design, maybe not by the design of those who have interjected it, but by the design of CRT and intersectionality itself. If you wonder why, why CRT tears everything up, it's because it's a hammer. That's what it does. It is racist to its core. Yes, absolutely. And it goes both ways. Look, I, I yes. say this repeatedly. I, don't, I, don't, I do not hesitate to say that racism doesn't know a color. We've got racism mm-hmm. all over the globe. I remember when I was in the Free Church, uh, the, Nor- the, the, uh, the Norwegians hated the Swedes, and the Swedes hated the Norwegians. This is the way people are. It, it is a sin nature, and it's something that we have to overcome, all of us. The other thing about this, and I don't, I don't want to sit on this too long, but I have to make the point that the first part of this, that of showing enough sorrow and painful, feeling badly enough about the legacy of racism and discrimination, uh, that to the sins of our fathers and the sins of our past, I do not see anywhere in Scripture where we are asked to beat our breasts and repent over and over and feel guilty to the point where we act strangely. We don't even operate normally because we're always apologizing for the past. That's not scriptural. We're supposed to repent and get up and stop sinning. Stop. You know, just stop. Don't do it anymore. Isn't that the biblical principle? Well, there's a biblical principle, certainly, that at times there's corporate repentance when a corporate body has sinned, but there's another side to the issue of corporate repentance, and that is forgiveness. When someone, whether it's two individuals or a group of when, when, when forgiveness has been expressed, repentance has been expressed, forgiveness has been requested, it is as much a Christian obligation on the part of the person who had been offended to receive that uh, repentance and to express forgiveness and walk forward in unity and reconciliation. If someone has done wrong and another person has been wronged, there is a divine biblical obligation for the one who did the wrong to repent. But Sandy, there is also a, 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 an equal obligation on the part of the offended party to accept that forgiveness and by God's grace and for God's glory, move on in kingdom work together. Yes. I have several things to ask you in a very short time, okay? So I'm going to okay. throw, and they're big, they're big things. Uh, one, of your, uh, one of the other persons running for the position is Al Muller, the president of Southern Baptist Seminary. He's been the cheerleader for Russell Moore. I think he's backed off of that a little bit. He's very popular. His broadcasts are very popular. What is your concern about Al Muller? Well, I have an organizational concern in part because he is simultaneously or would be simultaneously the president of one of our entities 
and the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And the SBC president has an indirect but a very real influence over who would ultimately sit on the board of directors to which the seminary president would be accountable. So I find that there is a conflict of interest there. I also think that uh, there are some troubling trends of CRT and intersectionality that have been allowed to be taught uh, and accepted uh, through some of the ministries there at Southern. And there is no question that uh, Dr. Moeller has been one of the most influential leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention, really for the last 20 to 25 years. Uh, Many of the other key leaders in the SBC have come out of his cabinet and off of his staff and faculty. So um, I think that if he were the right person to add his voice and help address some of these issues, he's already been well in a position to have done so. So uh, that is just one of the reasons that I've sensed the leadership of the Lord to allow my name to go forward. But also, I think it's some would say that's been the influence of Al Muller for whatever reason, uh, and Russell Moore for sure. Russell's more blatant about how he feels. Uh, the seminaries have moved, have plunged to the left. And at Southwestern Seminary, the, the accusation that the, there's been lots of purges, we don't have time to go into that. Perhaps we can talk about that at a later date. Uh, but people, if they would like to, uh, if they're Southern Baptists listening to us, uh, the way they vote is to become a messenger to the convention. Is that right? That's exactly right, and the individual churches elect their messengers in different ways. So I would say if you're a, uh, a member of a Southern Baptist church and desire to be a messenger, contact your pastor or other relevant staff member and ask, how does our church select messengers to the convention? Each church gets two and uh, up to as many as 12, but the pastor or leader of your local Southern Baptist church could tell you as a member how you could be elected to represent your church as a messenger to the annual meeting in June. Mike, Mike, again, Mike Stone is the pastor of the Emanuel Baptist Church, and he is running for president for the convention. If uh, if things were to look like, if you could, if you could, if you had a magic wand, and that's not in scripture that you would have a magic wand, but if you could ex- uh, get the kind of changes that you'd like to see, what would it look like under your leadership? Well, I've, I've, I've indicated and published three initiatives, and I'll just give them very briefly. One is I'd love to call the churches of the SBC to a renewed heart for evangelism through some specific, concerted, and unified evangelistic events to just focus on sharing the gospel, seeing lost people saved. I want to champion the sufficiency of Scripture, and I'd love to foster a greater level of grassroots involvement in the annual meeting of the SBC. Yeah, so, and basically what you're saying with that point is that you, and you've alluded to this in this conversation, that this is top-down leadership, and you feel like the, the people in the pews and the various churches are not having enough input. There's too much. And we, listen, we can relate to that in the country right now. We kind of see how that's going in Washington. It sounds like the SBC leadership is, is sort of mirroring that problem. And so that, I think, is what you'd like to address. Again, it's Mike Stone, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Blackshear, Georgia. And the reason this affects all of us is it's because uh, those of us that are Christians, uh, we must fight for the truth. Christians in past decades and centuries did this. They rose to the challenge, and we have to do the same. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.